Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hello and welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe. My name's Ed Mann, and today we are joined by the uh, the delightful Lewis Keynes. Thanks, I've been called worse. <laughs> and <laughs> I the, didn't know what was coming then. <laughs> and the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, Michael oh. Budd. Hello. Sorry, How long has it I... been? Has it gone downhill since I last came on? What's all this about? <laughs> Did you like Google these titles yeah. before? No, well, to be honest, right, I, I, I kind of thought of Lou's and then I was like, well, yeah. I, then I came, it just came to my head your one. So I feel bad, Lou. I will kind of think of a better one for you because Delightful is a nice one, though. I think yeah, you know, I'm happy with that. good, you know. I'll take it on board. That's yeah, fine. The, how you doing, Lou, man? Seems like ages since we last spoke. It's mm. been a little while, but uh, life has... Has been well, occurring. You've moved. You've, ha- you've finally got the house. You're now in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in Froome, Somerset, near Bristol, Bathway. Yeah, I'm loving life in the southwest, and things are going pretty well. Just very, very busy working, living, decorating, seeing people about boilers, boring stuff like that. Oh wow! <laughs> I won't real, bore you with any more you know, trade so, talk. A lot of the same stuff that Mike's doing with this place, probably. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, though. I mean, so, so what, what, how have you been balancing it then? Have you been able to do much work, like kind of you've been working and then uh, in the afternoon, in the evenings, I, I'm guessing getting picking up the paintbrush and doing work around the house? Just juggling everything all in one go, to be honest. I, uh, my boss was kind enough to give me a little bit of time over the move to get the whole, the actual move done. And then we got down here and the, yeah, weekends and mornings and evenings and non-work time have just been spent well, painting this week and over the Easter holiday and stuff. So it's all yeah. worth it when, it when it's finished. Well, it's and, I, I look at, and obviously we're coming down to see you or across to see you. Yeah. Um, you weren't meant to know. It was oh, meant to be a surprise. <laughs> but poor Rachel <laughs> had to end up telling you because you're going to... What was it? You're going to book uh, what, a golf trip or something? Well, every, every, weekend. every year I like to go... Um, every, you know, obviously I'm a golfer and stuff. I like, I like to play you golf. You like golf? Wow, I don't know. Not that I... Not that I'm playing a lot at all at the moment, but anyway, every year I go to Wentworth at the end of May because there's um, a big European tour event there um, called the BMW Championship, where all the all the big names in, in European golf, like Luke Donald and Justin Rose and guys like that, come and play. So it's kind of my only chance throughout the year to really get to go and watch them up close. So I go every and year. Now I feel bad that we're the we're going to be no, running no. that for you. <laughs> all, all, all it was, I'm, I'm going on the Thursday and Friday anyway, but I was going to go on the Saturday as well. But I'll be knackered by then. And when when she said you guys are coming up to see the place, then obviously I'd much rather do that. So. Oh, brownie points. That's a good friend thing to say, you know. <laughs> Especially when you guys when you guys have done the drive. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not here. So yeah, yeah. I'm Wentworth. Oh, okay. Yeah, you literally go M3, oh, there's Stonehenge, and then it's just like a lot of straight road in between. Oh, brilliant. And, so, and so then what, you get here. So, so what have you been doing then, uh, work-wise then? How, how are things going around that in that area? I've been doing a lot of work-wise, actually. I don't know when the last time I was on. Had we launched Estate Office yet, or the Vibra site, or was that, was that still in the... I have no idea, you know. I don't think you had. don't think no. you had. So that must have been probably over a month and a half ago, I guess. But yeah. that finally went live. The, the feedback's been great from it, and they're happy, so that's good. That was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into that website, a lot of learning and stuff. So that went live. That was really good. And then... Thankfully, through the move, I had a bit of downtime, which was which was cool because 
I was able to do a couple of things non-project related that I wanted to do. Like I did some um, some NPM script writing to get away from using Gulp and stuff like that. I've um, written some artisan commands with Laravel to improve my workflow and you know help me basically help me ship across code that I've used in other projects without having to manually do it. So that was a big thing. And I'm trying to think what else I've done. I've switched from Sublime Text 2 to Atom Editor now, which I really like. Most of the time I like it a lot. It's got a few quirks, which are a bit naff. but um, And yeah, now I'm full on into another website, which is probably bigger than the Estate Office site, which is using two completely different APIs to that one that work differently, which I'm sure we'll get onto throughout this podcast. And I think that's about it. Very Just nice. So it keeps up busy then. Yeah, I've I've been pretty busy. Oh, my my laptop had a meltdown. That's one of the reasons. Oh I, yes, I that was a fun, that was a horrible. Well, I mean, you know, every cloud has a silver lining because you obviously now have got an SSD in there, so I'm making it super quick. So it's awesome. yeah, it's really really good. I've, I've never never really experienced one before, so I, I, I they're they're brilliant. It's so much faster. It is noticeably faster, isn't it? I mean, it goes. You know, obviously RAM is the you know something that you know it hits ram first so you know it's quicker you know to, if you have you know more ram you can put in more in ram but then yeah. obviously once it's hit disk if you've got an ssd you're going to feel that you know the noticeable change as opposed to having a spinning disk yeah well apparently the old hard, hard drive completely burnt out apparently i've no idea how i don't work that hard well this is it you see couldn't, couldn't keep up with you you know <laughs> the only conclusion <laughs> i could draw was i got to get rid of sublime i remember mike saying that he's had a few incidents with sublime and suddenly out of nowhere it'll just stop working so how, how are you enjoying Atom then? Uh, have you been like looking into it? Because I know it's got a good plug-in um, architecture ecosystem as well. And Yeah, yeah, I love it. it. I just like the way it looks. It's a lot cleaner and it's just got little nice things like um, like the plugins, as you say, and you, you've got complete style over how you set it up. Yeah, because it's, it's built on the web stack, isn't it? So it's like yes, a it node, yeah. So it, it's like how people made it. Yeah, so it's really cool because it's built you know, with less and then with HTML and things like that. Exactly, and it's it's an ongoing project, so there's more and more plugins being added to it, and supports a lot of things like PHP Unit and various bits and bobs that all you know all serve to make things faster. So I'm still still kind of on very much kind of the base install of it. Really, I haven't put many things on top of it, but well, I know that nice. there. It's, it's always nice that you don't have to bulk out the thing, you know. Like it's, it's always nice to like if you if it comes out of the box with things that you really think are you know, sensible defaults and you know uh, you know features and stuff that you want, it's great. Then you then you're having to you know chuck a load of stuff. It's like oh, install this, but then I have to install all this other stuff, which just slows it down. So that's yeah, always exactly. a win. It's funny yeah. actually because HipChat um, have released like a new version because you guys are Slack users, aren't you? I've, oh yeah, big time. I haven't, I haven't used either. Ah, uh, right. So, so, uh, so HipChat essentially is just like it's an IM client, but you mm. know, like a lot of cl- companies use it and things, and similar with Slack. Um, and they have replaced their their well, and I think it's both Windows and OS X um, clients with a web based one. Well, not web based, but you know, like it's a Node install app, similar to how uh, Atom works, where it's a desktop application, but it's written. In and, and it was funny because you can look in like the about bit and you can see like what they've been using like webpack and things like that. But I mean, there's been a couple of teething problems. I feel like there some bits aren't as be- aren't as good as it used to be. But obviously for them, I mean, must be the deployment process, development process must be a lot easier because maybe they can then relate it back to the web version they have. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are going down that route of you know using the web stack for everything because you know it's obviously easier if you if you're already working and understand you know 
web programming and like you know the html the css's and things like that and javascript then you know going into like a whole new thing where you'd have to have say objective c or swift and then you'd have to go into c sharp or whatever you know for uh, a windows application this way kind of unifies those and yeah it seems to be working fine i mean the obviously the the trade-offs are you know that you are you're, you're kind of you're acceptable you're you're really um at mercy of what is provided so what hooks you have into it you know such as like can you access the webcam can you access all these you know os os uh, events and things like that so it's at the mercy of what you use like the packaging you use and things and and the api calls and things you're able to actually access but no it seems really really good cool i'm a i'm a one-man web team so i don't really have any so you just be talking to yourself be like an echo chamber there <laughs> yeah i mean i speak to you guys using skype and that's pretty much it screen error occasionally which is very good Oh, mm. Screen Hero is still awesome, and it, and it is owned by Slack, but they haven't done anything yet with it, which I'm kind of happy because don't break it. It's like if it's not broken, don't don't yeah. fix it. Uh, so I am a little, I'm always a bit dubious with it, you know, because I use it on a daily basis, pretty much throughout the week. So yeah, I'm a little worried because it is the best tool I found for that remote desktop feel and pair programming, and it's just so easy. It's just so easy. So yeah, fingers crossed they keep it the same. How about yeah. you, Mickey? What you been up to? Um, to be honest, um, obviously I'm still working uh, pretty much full time on this sort of web stats project that I'm doing, like a six month project. So that's keeping me very, very busy. So that's just continuation of like, um, sort of, uh, react and flux, um, and, um, sort of, uh, PHP API. Um, I recently switched from Laravel to Lumen for, for the API. How, how did you, how did you find that? Was it a, a win? Yeah, uh, it was it was really good actually. I kind of thought, well, this is probably going to be like a day's work moving it over, and it probably took me two hours. Um, so, so, what was the uh, kind of drive behind doing that? Well, just because um, I sort of thought long and hard about how I wanted to separate uh, my presentation and, and the data and stuff, and I kind of came to the conclusion of using the API. Uh, I needed an API anyway for like third parties to use, but I kind of thought I'd use it internally as well. But I was a little bit concerned about the uh, any latency, you know, like those HTTP calls, that kind of stuff. So um, I sort of read up a lot about it a lot, and and I'd heard of Lumen, but I really didn't know what it was. I thought it was just like a slim, you know, version of the framework, which it is. Yeah. But you also said that one of the you know really good cases for it is for like APIs because it it will sort of minimize those HTTP calls. So that was my kind of driving force behind it, and um, and it has yeah I've noticed you know, a better performance on that. The only thing I would say is, like, obviously a lot of stuff they've taken out to, to give you the speed increases. Yeah, that kind of things that you read. What, have, what are the main things that they've taken out? I haven't used it yet. Well, so the big thing for me was um, was Eloquent, obviously, because that's, it does a lot of nice stuff and it gives you, like, nice objects back and, um, and extra stuff. But um, it is one of the things that slows things down. So you, what you can do in Lumen is you can... You can turn Eloquent on. Um, I mean, I'm not using Eloquent a lot, to be honest with you, because I was worried about, you know, uh, latency there. But there was a couple of things where I was using it. So um, I did end up turning it on, but again, didn't really notice uh, so, much. So how do you turn it on then? Is it is it simply like kind of they, they've taken the Laravel framework with all of the decoupled bits and you just yeah. don't require them? So, you know, within your composer file, it's essentially just a different composer file with the same Laravel core framework, or is it completely different core? No, it is. Well, I hope I'm saying this right now, but I think it is pretty much the same core. And like for me, like to turn Eloquent on, I just have to go to like the app config.php file and turn it on. 
So oh, so it's all brought down then. It's just the fact it's not loaded. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to say that everything's brought down. I I don't know, but Eloquent certainly is there at the box. Yeah, he's just. What, not what are you using instead of that? Just their raw DB class then. Or... To be honest with you, I I just I just use um, raw PDO. Yeah. There's like a there's a method oh, in Laravel to get the uh, PDO connection, and then I just I just do straight up. Um, so we're also stripping it back. Yeah, exactly. I might it's good to do that. Yeah, well, my philosophy with this project has kind of been: look, if I don't need it, it's not going in. I just it has to be. Um, you know, it's like it's that whole like Ferrari or the school bus type thing. But for me, like I need the uh, the Ferrari. So anything, it's just I'm just getting rid of it, just offloading any like weight. No, I don't want any excess baggage. So stripping it all out, and um, I did the same thing with like jQuery. I was like, I do you really fed. need jQuery? Yeah, that that, yeah. that that conversation is now. You know, because it became it was one of those things where it was like a nicety to have. Then it was kind mm. of a must have. It's like, oh, it's part of commonplace. You know, every browser has jQuery. But yeah. now it's like, well, do you really need it? Like JavaScript has, you know, really kind of settled down in its standards and stuff. And what you actually use it for? I'm amazed to be honest with you. We were having this conversation. Like I would have thought we'd be saying, oh yeah, jQuery's still got another like five, ten years of you know production life. And now I agree with you. Like it's kind of and that's not me belittling. I still think jQuery is amazing, but um, it's a but great tool for think, what it and what it started. Yeah. What it did was spearhead, you know, you know, JavaScript growth, you know, yeah. and and the accessibility of it. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, the the thing is now is if you're just trying to get it for like documents, you know, trying to get uh, yeah. element selectors and things like that, query yeah. select, you know, selectors and things are available in JavaScript as is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you don't really need to worry too much well, because if the IEs are gone, you know, like support yeah. for IE, uh, you know, Microsoft only support IE 11. Yeah. And that's it. And then they support Edge. And yeah, yeah, unless you're supporting those, you know, down to IE 6 again. I mean, and hmm. I think even in jQuery 2, they dropped support for like IE 6 and 7 or something like that. They, they dropped yeah. a, a lot of support because of the bulk it was, you know, becoming. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I think really all I was using it for was like a nice wrap around. Um, you know, making my Ajax cool, so I was like, "Well, that's that's just, just fetch, stupid, man. really." Oh, did yeah. you use XML HTTP? I used a, raw, XML HTTP requests, and yeah, and yeah, I just found it nice and easy to be honest with you. And um, but yeah, I guess I mean, go about. I mean, jQuery, you could make your own custom build, right? You don't have to bring everything I down. Think so I guess so. I'm not sure how much it is. I remember Mod- Modernize has been very good with that, where they've ve- and yeah. also uh, Lodash, where you know yeah. you can make very custom specific builds that only have the tools that you want. Uh, yeah. I'm sure they're yeah I'm sure jQuery supports that kind of thing uh, but then yeah. again yeah I mean the things again with like fetch you know fetch is now a standard it's mm. a great way of encapsulating and, and abstracting the you know asynchronous requests so yeah you can use that and you know it's a standard you know it's available natively in browsers like Chrome yeah um, so yeah so you know doing these you know, using them as a and it uses promises you know like again yeah. supported in ES6 it's a standard yeah. so yeah it, it's it's a good way to go that's it. So, um, yeah, I mean, really with this project, because I'm dealing with huge amounts of data and speed is of the utmost importance. And certainly, like, thinking, like, I think I probably mentioned, like, the PHP conference when I went and, and they were talking about research that, like, Amazon had done. And they were showing that every 100 millisecond costs them millions of pounds and, or millions of dollars, whatever. And that was, that really stuck with me, actually. That's huge. And, um, and I can't remember the exact stats, but now, like, the amount of time that a user kind of, uh, would perceive as you know inactivity like nothing happening 
is just frightening. Like, well, we've been conditioned now, haven't we, yeah. with how good services are, like Google and thing, and how quick they are. That yeah. everything should react that quick, and it's, yeah. it is a bit scary. And and obviously, yeah, you can do tricks and things to make it feel. That's mm. when you have these client side applications, which make give you the impression, the feel that you're loading things. I mean, like Facebook, uh, for instance, yeah. they use. Uh, for the for like the feeling that things are actually loaded already, you know, like when you go onto Facebook, even on their their um, Facebook application, their their uh, 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 sorry their iOS application, yeah. you'll see that you know you'll get like uh, news feed items, but they'll all be grayed out text, and it'll just be like loading text, yeah, like you know the actual content of it looks like it's already there, but it's just been grayed out, yeah, like it's loading it. I mean, these are like kind of like human feel, you know, like oh, it's loading, it's quickly loading. Just these, you know, so we've been conditioned to be speedy. That's quite interesting because they're one of the ones that are getting blamed now, aren't they, for like iPhone battery usage? Oh, Facebook they were app. naughty, weren't they? Did you hear what what they'd done? No, I didn't really hear. So they they essentially, I think they were playing. They they kind of. This is what I feel. I think happened is that they were using the the music um uh, music APIs to yeah. play silent music so they could be running all the time. So they no. were kind of circumvented the way of being able to be on all the time, you know, because the iPhone has a very strict, you know, what's running in the background thing. But music, obviously, is one thing that needs to be running all the time. So they would be playing this silent music and being on all the time. I, I don't know whether it. that's exactly what happened, but that's what I feel happened. And if it, and it's really bad. Like, that's so sneaky and not right for a big company to do. Like, they should, they, yeah, I mean, you can't get away with that shocking really yeah i mean because people were complaining at how you know facebook these at this app was you know causing your battery to die um and yeah this is one of the reasons and i mean it's a great little workaround you know but it's a bad thing to do like it's a good little hack to say oh look what you can do if you you know if you want them to running but you should never use in production yeah that's just that's disloyal and distrustful to your you know to your to your client base to you isn't that how facebook occurred in the first place Kind of. <laughs> oh, what mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. So, well, speaking actually of JavaScript, um, mm. there was a huge NPM thing. I don't know whether you heard the the outbreak of oh my god, NPM JavaScript ecosystem uh, all around LeftPad. Did you hear about LeftPad? The function no. LeftPad, yeah. and it's like small micro modular, you know, systems, you know, being under scrutiny because of it. So essentially, a guy uh, or a girl, like some some user on GitHub, was like, "Well, I don't, I, I want to de uh, publish, essentially unpublish this uh, this repo he he'd made um, on npm, and it was called LeftPad. And all it is is a simple, I think it's a polyfill for the LeftPad, or it's a simple left padding thing where you know you get a string and you just say, look, pad, you know, the left of it." by so much and it defaults to a uh, you know a just an empty string empty char or you can pass in the char so very simple 20 lines 20 lines of clone 20 lines slot that that's always been the this is the joke now it was only 20 lines um and but it appeared a lot of pro a lot of things like babble and a lot of these major major applications major major projects depended on this left pad dependency mm. and when he removed it Everything's, <laughs> everything broke because no, obviously no. everything broke and no one could wow. be building and it was like oh my god and because obviously it's it, it's funny where it's like wow you're depending on a 20 line and you can read it. i mean you know the, these lines are available it's a super simple thing and you're like yeah and that kind of and it did bring up the debate of is you know these ultra module systems you know this is the thing about this is where and they have, they've had to kind of uh npm have been good you know that they've um They've dealt with the situation by, you know, now they've got this idea that, you know, if you're, you know, if the, if you, some other projects depend on your project, you can't just deactivate or unpublish it. You have to, you know, pass off ownership, 
which is a better way of doing it. But yeah, that that caused a lot of airways, and it was really funny because over Twitter. Well, I say over Twitter, it was really funny. It was pretty bad because some people obviously couldn't be doing their builds. But what it does tell you is you need to cash a build, and you need to be careful about your dependencies. Um, you know, because yeah, this could happen. Um, and and another thing actually related to uh, JavaScript and fetch and all that fun stuff and ajax in general is a bug that i found um i I think i told you i I think i told both of you i told you definitely mick didn't i about this bug i found the the 204 bug yeah yeah you did yeah yeah that was a fun one so um we've been getting a lot of track js errors um and also some and we got some endpoint hits on uh, new relic to our trade trade approval api and so what essentially was happening was it was coming up with undefined so it was trying to access it in evaluation with undefined as the id and we were like oh, okay what's this so i was looking into it and everything and you know over time i was kind of looking i'm thinking oh, it's an, only a 99 problem so you know do we need to do it and it was like well let's have a look and see how hard it is to actually to solve and what had actually turned out was we we use it within the fetch fetch you know is a there's a polyfill from github and everything and within the fetch um it returns the headers it, we, so 204 responses are no content responses no body entity it doesn't expect a body entity but it does it can expect um new metadata or you know headers so we get returned back an id an evaluation id and then we go to that based on that you know based on the new id we append that and you know create the url string or we pass back the url string and the header and then just go to it should be super easy but obviously it couldn't find that id so it's going undefined and it was causing all these problems on the server end as well so yeah we, we, i was looking through it and i was baffling my mind i was like well you know this is really weird because it's working fine in every other browser and it's not picking up this and i thought oh maybe it's because it doesn't like the headers and it doesn't like you know all that and and i've been looking on the javascript end and i was you know boot you know what happens you know the cycle you boot up virtual box you install ie9 you cry because you're like why am i doing this um you know but eventually i was like hang on a minute let's just try something and i i changed the 204 response to a 200 of response and everything started working again and i was like well why is this and then i noticed a known issue um actually in well in ie and their x xml http implementation it, it in fact turns 204 responses uh into a bogus 1223 status code which is great because we all believe you know 1223 is a good status code but also it strips all the headers out of responses so yeah it was a known issue and in the fetch commit i actually looked at because what the fetch at the the git and this is something to notice actually uh mickey if you are using fetch is that they've currently they've they unsupported or they've now uh, no longer support ie9 so they've removed all the hacks they need to do for that and one of them was to convert a 1223 status code into a 204 status code uh, but they couldn't get the headers back because it just doesn't exist to them so yeah so what we've had to do as a workaround and that is to resp- return 200 responses but it's one of those face palm kind of things where you know the, the 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 debugging of it took probably three or four times the amount of, well if not more amount of time but once we've done the 200 responses it was fine but it makes you cry all I'm hearing is excuses. Well, this is it, exactly. You know, we're we're a you know success oriented business. You know, things have to get done. Yeah, yeah. No, that oh, sounds yeah. it's it a horrible book. You did well brutal. to um, to debug that. To be oh, honest, with you. man, it's just so horrible when you have to load up an IE. You know, and you just feel like think, why are people still using this? But yeah, yeah. Anyway, are. anyway. But so, so, what are you up to at the moment then, Mick? With work, what what have you been doing? 
Uh, what have I been doing in the minute? Uh, so now you've got Lumen set up now and everything. Have you been a lot more yes. Postgres stuff, a lot more database optimization kind of things, or have you been working what? on the re- the front end React stuff more? Yeah, more the React stuff, to be honest with you. Just sort of like filling in details and just putting in loads of like filter stuff and um, and just kind of, I think I said to you the other day, but I think I, you know, I got React working, got Flux working, and kind of understand that a lot more now and the, the whole flow of everything. And then, but then I guess what I hadn't really done is I wasn't really utilizing uh, sort of asynchronous behavior very well, to be honest with you, especially where I got stuff where I sort of storing stuff in the database. And uh, I also got in like in a little, I think, I, you know, I was saying to you the other day, like got in a situation where I was waiting for an ID to come back from like storing something in the database. And that latency, even though it's like minimal, it was noticeable. And I was like, well, how do I get around that really? Because I really want that ID back. And you know, in terms of updating the the display, I need that ID. So I need to have a little look at that. And I know have you, you have mentioned you maybe like yeah, temporary uh, temporary line yeah. IDs and things like that. I think that's what the route I'll probably go down and have a look at that. Yeah, but like atta- really... attach a yeah, attach like a mean well a mm. unique ID to it. You know that you can use temporary, which allows yeah. you then to do work with it and then replace it. I mean, you do that. There's kind of the what well, it's called the um, within. Within the React fl- uh, flux, like kind of life cycle, it's like the happy path kind of thing where pre yeah. pre preempting success. So yeah. in the case of say like a note, we'll create a note um, yeah. and we'll pretend like it's added. Um, you know, we'll go through the whole process, but we'll store it with a like a client ID, like a, a random user generated ID. And yeah. when, but what happens then is once it goes up to the server, the user instantaneously thinks, yeah. And this is again with the whole, you know, the speed is everything. Yeah. Thinks, yep, it's been updated. It's it's actually added, but it hasn't actually been added yet. Not really, because it's not been sent to the server. Once it's been sent to the server and comes back, we then do the reconciliation. Uh, reconcile like recon reconciliation reconciliation (laughs) that's the word uh eventually you know to say okay replace this you know temporary id with the real one so it's a bit more work but yeah it does pay off because users do want speed absolutely that's the thing i kind of like um i tweaked and uh, tightened up the system in terms of speed in terms of getting logic back and stuff that kind of stuff but now really uh, it's the actual react application that i need to look at like uh, the speed there so yeah just working on that really and just continuation of that so i kind of got like hopefully having a soft launch of the the product at the end of the month so it's it's a little bit a little bit scary to be so, honest so how's you. your stack looking now as well you you digital ocean um yeah i am ab- split absolutely. out the db to another server or are they both shared? yep yeah no there is a completely different servers and uh also like i know i was speaking to you uh probably mentioned the last podcast but i'm definitely like got the whole microservices bug which i know me and you kind of uh not disagree upon, but I guess uh, have different views on. And, uh, but no, I'm very, I, I very much like that idea. So I've just tried to keep things as, as separate as possible. And, uh, and then I just think it will be nice and scalable. Then um, I hope that's my plan. So, so yeah, how, just... how many different services have you have you made then? Well, <laughs> so yeah, I keep saying microservices. I guess really what I'm doing is more SOA rather than microservices because I don't really have that many things, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've separated the database. The presentation layer is is completely separate from the logic, and then the API is um, at the moment the API is on a separate server as well. And I kind of think really should the API and the database be on the same server because I'm guessing there's going to be latency there. That um, that may be, you know, for now. Yeah, I think that's a good way. You know, dealing with it being on a socket as opposed to a network call. Yeah, you'd that's be it. notice that you know. But then the next sort of step in the project really is is kind of like a I don't want to call it a CRM because it makes it sound bigger than it will be, 
but um, but certainly some sort of like minimum kind of CRM system, which again I want to build like independently. Um, so yeah, I mean, really the only kind of coupling I hope that I've got is the coupling of the the database to each individual sort of part. But you know, I don't really see that you can get around that too much so yeah so so um, the api then does that encompass the whole database persistence as well then and it's only the api that you access to then get to the database or you get to the database kind of on its own everything for the api yeah yeah cool so in in theory i mean yeah i could you're a pake to the fact there's a database and you can change the data store and the way that representation yeah yeah that's exactly right that's awesome so um yeah, no, it's coming along quite nicely. But uh, other than that, really, I'm still I'm working on my masters and um, uh, yeah, reading that microservices book, which I'm really enjoying, just really challenging the way that I look at things. So yeah, that's me really. But how about you? What are you? Uh, so well, I mean, other than those fixing those little bugs and yeah. everything, um, I well, one th- actual screencast I didn't realize you actually posted, and then I found, and then you yeah, sold. Well, actually, this was, I know this is it, you know, trying to get all the glory. Um, yeah. It's uh, his. This guy's name's called Bruce Monjian. Monjian. I've butchered his name. I feel very sorry because I've actually listened to, well, watched a lot of his screencast now. He yeah. has posted, and he has done a lot of work with the Postgres community, and yeah. uh, and all the internal stuff and all the fun stuff. And I really want to get into databases a bit more um the optimization of them kind of how they are implemented kind of feel to them and you know how they do their work you know how they pick you know why do they pick you know the query planner why does it pick those what 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 does it wait you know what what kind of what does it mean when you do the explain and what's in there and things how Mm. the joins work or the different ones hash joins you know and things like this and you know index scans bitmap heap scans and all this what do they actually mean um Mm. because i do feel that knowing that stuff will help me within the database world you know because i know there was a big old fan. There's always been this fad of, you know, the NoSQL movement and this idea of, you know, you don't want relational databases all the time and everything. And I, and I agree with that. I feel, you know, they serve a purpose. But a yeah. lot of the time, a, data, a relational database is still king. And it's the most powerful tool, I feel, for a lot of things. And, yeah. It's... What circumstance would you argue that a NoSQL-based database is is merited so things such as graph things is a really good one because yeah. dealing with graph databases and this idea of you know you have your nodes and then you have your, your cur- oh, i can't remember what it's called curves or you know you have your endpoints and everything so the idea there where you know maybe you have like twitter where you know i have i'm a node and then i'm linked to another node based on these followers i'm following him and things like that yeah. so dealing with these kind of data structures is yeah. better to use something like geo4g you know and things like that yeah um neo4j sorry uh so yeah so things like that and then you do get into like the document databases which people seem to exploit a lot which is you know they're the unstructured databases where you know i can just give you a blob of json and you'll just store it and then you know we don't have to worry about what what it includes we don't have to be relational we don't have to normalize the data um Mm. that's great but then you still have to do indexes on it you still have to do all this post work to make it so it's easy and quick to actually use the data so you do have to have some heuristics on the data that you've got you know and find out and then index it stuff uh that that's kind of been you know i don't feel that's as good like i still feel relational database i mean things like postgres does support this idea of json b and things like that json and uh, you know unnormalized yeah. data uh, so you can w- get wins there um but yeah so i mean definitely graphing i mean that there's 
there's probably countless more i mean actually yeah things such as actually things like key value stores and like you know memcash type things and cassandra and all these where they're like you know highly distributed and they can fault tolerant all this type of fun stuff where you know i can deal with the fact that it's just a key value and you know i can search for it and i know that it's always going to be available or i know that it's going to be quickly available and things like that so yeah there's always there's always pros and cons to things but i still believe a relational database is still king in, in a lot of use cases and a lot of people again it's like any new cool hip hip technology they'll seek out the new hip thing when they don't really need to and a relational yeah. database will do and i think relational databases are uncool in quote because they're not hip and fresh but actually the technology in them is so awesome and interesting but you know and that's the great thing about postgres and still with my is like they're open source you can see but yeah this guy bruce he's done so many good uh video screencasts on uh you know like live live talks but then they've been recorded you know and, they, and like one of them was like explaining postgres query optimizer and it just yeah. went into so much detail and there's also another one like he talks about the internals of postgres and i'm just going through that one now and they're, they're, they're screencasts that i have to re-watch uh, at least a couple of times just yeah. to really understand it um, yeah. and i'm still trying to get understand you know the in-depth kind of how explain works and what's happening and but yeah it's been really interesting uh, have, you, actually, um, oh, have you shared those links on twitter all of them because i haven't no I'll, I'll, I'll put them in the show notes so sure, okay yeah, yeah and yeah. I'll, I'll send them to you now so you know you'll uh you'll get them fresh fresh um, yeah. one actually other thing before we speak to lou because we've got a good mm. segue um is <laughs> the uh, what my move from s3 to DigitalOcean. so you'll yes. now be uh, this po- podcast is hosted obviously on github pages but the actual um, the actual files, the actual MP3 downloads are all, were hosted on S3, and it was working great, and it was good speeds. But it was a little bit pricey, for you know, a little bit pricey for what it was. Um, yeah. And what I've done is I've done the move to a simple DigitalOcean box now, so it's a little the, the speed. I'm sorry, the speed is probably a little bit you know degraded. Um, I can sense you know notice a bit of a speed, but the price is just ridiculously cheaper. Um, and it was just I mean so simple DigitalOcean. Every time I go I use it, I'm like, how easy is this? You it know, very good, I remember yeah. when we first spoke about it and I first looked at, it, I was like, this can't be true, and this is going to go away in like a month or something because there's no way they can do this for five dollars a month and all these things. But it's just got better, and you know now they've got these one-click installers, you know, for things that people don't really understand what they're doing, or you know they've got a simple idea, you know, you can easily snapshot things, and you've got this idea of floating IP addresses and all this crazy stuff. But all I want is a box. I just install it. I had an Ubuntu box on the fourteen oh four LTS, and I just installed Nginx, and boom, I've just put my files on there, and it's as easy as that. And yeah, that was can it. Can I so- just say though, and I still don't fully understand what happened, and this is going to make me just really expose my incompetence. But the only issue I had, like, I moved uh, one of my clients from a horrible, like, shared box with, like, one, two, three reg or whatever to, <laughs> to DigitalOcean. Instantly, the average page speed went from about 21 seconds to under a second, which is a fantastic, like, instant win. And uh, But the thing that stopped working was emails stopped uh, being sent on that box. And in the end, I just had an email. I think, like, I spoke to you, Ed, that day, and... I had to go like into the email logs and find out what was happening, and I like I got some response back from Gmail saying that it wouldn't accept it because of some. I can't remember what the name of the record was. Yeah, now. I I think I've never yeah, heard your I remember you saying the M's t- whatever some some record for email. This is the trouble with sending your own emails is mm. you you know a lot you know there's a lot of spam out there. So Use something like Mailgun. Yeah, this that's is exactly what what we yeah. do now. We just get everyone onto. 
onto Google Apps and just do it all that oh, way. Oh, that's even better, yeah. Because, I mean, like, well, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, so hosting definitely for, like, Google Apps and things and then sending them, yeah, use stuff like Mailgun or SendGrid or something because normally yeah. they have pretty cheap plans or even free. Um, you yeah. can send your own emails if you want, but then you're dealing with the whole fact of, you know, dealing with being blacklisted and, you know, by Google mm. and people, you know, the, the threat Oof. of, you know, your email never getting sent and things like that. And if you don't know what you're doing, let yeah. someone else deal with it. And it is a bigger problem than just simply a mail function i think that's the trouble because there's a lot of setup underneath that mail function to make it work well my issue was that i'd like i'd named the box i'd named it something like the the name of the client and uh like after doing some digging as soon as i changed the name of the box the instance to um full domain then it started working again yes it's so weird isn't it i mean i I, I honestly my my knowledge of email is very weak and i would just say yeah using things like the the third party tools because they deal with all those problems and bouncing and all this type of stuff uh yeah whether you've been spam you know been filled you know and and you could pick all this stuff up using their api and things like that so they give you good tools for that and that's what we use at work and yeah you send grid and i I use mandro and i haven't had any issues at all since i mean do you have to pay for it as well i mean is there well if you get up to a certain usage but i mean it's quite high isn't it we've got i don't know maybe a dozen or so websites that that are using it now and that's brilliant none of them have ever gone over that or we've certainly never been invoiced for anything so that's awesome see i mean that's it i mean in general use cases you may never even have to worry about you know uh, any, any money mandrill's possibly more expensive than is it SendGrid? i think which yeah, was the one we were using before yeah. but yeah as i say we've never never even come close to the quota so that's brilliant yeah. and, and moving on actually a good segue into apis as well is something you've been playing around with lou Two set, two APIs, two uh, home house property APIs. You, you mentioned at the beginning of the show. Just care if you don't mind uh, explaining a little bit more what's been happening here. I can certainly try and explain whether it will make any sense <laughs> or not is another thing. But, um, yeah, it's quite interesting listening to that. One of the, the site that I'm now working on is again, it's another property site. That's what we do mainly. But the, one of the first things I had to do was manage all the database stuff. This is um, this is a site that was built on built on CodeIgniter. What's that? Yeah, of some framework. Well, actually, I can't say it. I used to use it, and I I don't have any issues with it. But <laughs> yeah, I had to um, to get it to work within basically the, the systems that I've built up. I had to do a, probably the biggest database migration that I've ever done. It's, um, I don't know, possibly it must be about forty, fifty tables in there, and um, properties and stuff. We're looking at nine hundred or nine hundred plus properties each with. Um, with images and downloads and stuff so 5,000 plus files and stuff to pull across as well so before I even got to the API stuff you know having to get all of that done and out of the way was hard work so um, yeah that was the first obstacle with that but yeah basically this website it's a bit different to the estate office one because that was using Viber and all I literally had to do with that was pull the data from them so they gave, gave us the credentials to connect to their API and then the endpoints obviously to work with and after after obviously not knowing about much of that stuff in the first place and I had my concerns, it was it was all fine and straightforward. But with this one it's a bit different. We're not actually doing that. We're we're pushing data to them. So um it's it's a different kind of setup altogether. But the um the pro the services they use are right move, Zoopla and Prime Location. I don't know if you have you heard of all three of those? Heard of Zoopla and Right Move. Oh, yeah, I think I've Prime Location is just a sister of one of those. But, um, basically, yeah, the the I was hoping pretty much that I could 
use what they had in place, but the the versions of the APIs that they're using are now very old, particularly for right move, which is now going on to this right move real time data feed. So and there we got an email yesterday saying they're switching to that in July. So thankfully I've got a couple of months to get everything in place and working and everything else. So that's that one. And um I found this other one called it's um ZPG group. It's the Zoopla property group, but they've got their they've got a real time listings API that will take care of the posting to both Zoopla and Prime Location. So And this thanks. is the one you've had fun with, isn't it? Well I've had fun I've with had both. both yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, post to both of them, which is good because I've now I've only got to write two solutions instead of three. So, um, but yeah, before we even get into to working with the API itself, there's been a lot of quirky kind of authentication issues, I suppose you could say. The, um, the first public one, key encryption, and public all that, key yeah. encryption. Yeah, this was for the um, for the Zoopla property group one. So, on the surface of it, it's all. Look fairly straightforward. I generate a public and private key, send them the private one. They then send me back their so if their signed version, and that's fine. And we go from there. But I then realised that I had the local development um, processes that I was using weren't compatible with that because of their versions of curl and TLS. That was it. TLS one point two, only one point two. It required. It can't do anything else, and it will just fail yeah. silently. Well, it didn't fail silently. To be fair, it did. Did you know? It, come it, up with it, a warning. It failed, but it didn't give you a warning. Yeah, that I didn't give you why. Any, any reason why? I mean, you have to. You have to crawl through the documentation again to find out that it was that. Exactly. It was just because it was just because your curl was just a couple of versions that dot releases. You know, below. yeah, it wasn't. Oh. Even, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was pretty close, but. You know, I've, I've I've just always used MAMP because it's always been fine for what I've been doing, and now I've finally come across a use case where it isn't. So I'm now I'm now using Homestead, and Mike, you had a similar issue, didn't you? Where now you're using Homestead as well? Was it was it a similar issue as that, or was it for different reasons? Um, I I can't really remember to be honest with you. I just uh, I just I think it was something to do like uh, when I was first using Laravel and like something wasn't working with like Artisan, and I was like, do you know what? Just use Homestead yeah, because yeah. then. You just, it's just so nice that like you go, like for me, I'll go from working from my iMac to my MacBook and I know that everything's going to work. Now yeah. you're not having to worry about local environment. And if you use something like MAMP, then you've still got that, that issue because... Well, I, uh, does that have it? It's upgraded. Oh, nice. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, does MAMP have it? I assume it has its own like internal version of PHP and stuff, does it? So I guess if you had the same version of MAMP like on both your machines, you'd be okay. But... So, you're right. well, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it's the OS. It's the, it is the OS. Yeah. El Capitan, basically. When yeah. I was on when I was on Yosemite, I was able to do everything I needed to do. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. able to use like my computer name to to access my network, so I could test on devices mm. and do all that stuff. And for whatever reason, when, then I upgraded to El Capitan. I couldn't do that anymore. So. The things I like to use, like browser sync, were now not working properly, and various things like that. So that was another yeah. another good byproduct of upgrading to. I say upgrade. Well, yeah, I guess it is an upgrade because it's doing the job better than what I had before. So for using Homestead, and was that was that to do with the security changes that they'd made in El Capitan? I didn't, I didn't get to the solution. 
I, I, I think it probably would be, wouldn't it? I think. I mean, their curl version seems a little balked as well, doesn't it? Because right. it would run, but it would just come with this horrible exception. And then we did like some Stack Overflow uh, research, as you do. Uh, yeah. And by the way, Fra- Fraser's <laughs> O'Reilly screenshot. We put that in the show notes as well. Oh, you yeah, know, understanding how the best optimal way of researching on Stack Overflow. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> complete segue there. But yeah, so we were kind of looking through there, and it was just like, yeah, the curl. I mean, this is when you, you use the same you know distribution the same operating system as well as you know the language because there is because what happens essentially is i think php just uses the library underneath it will use curl underneath it so it will use whatever the version you know that you've got you know it just does the bindings between that and the operating system curl mm. version so if you have a problem with the curl version you're gonna have a problem then on the php curl version which then has a problem with it because guzzle if you're using some like even higher level guzzle it all mm. goes down yeah. Well, the problem escalated from there. Obviously, once I realised that and I'd upgraded to Homestead, I thought, well, we use Media Temple to to host all our websites properly, and I can I can certainly guess with fairly cer- fair certainty that they're not going to have that version either. Mm. So that was the next step was to get onto them. Long story short, no, they don't. So that escalated into, oh crikey, we need to upgrade our whole our whole server and move it up to CentOS 7 so that we can do all these things. So now we're looking at a whole server migration. So that's now not just about one website, that's about all websites. And Christ, when are we going to be able to do that? We're too bit, you know, we're too busy. So we decided against that. And for this particular website in question and possible others, which might have the similar, you know, implications, we're just going to, as, as you guys have done, just use DigitalOcean, the, the solution for everything. <laughs> I think the thing is, it's a win-win situation. You can't lose because if it goes wrong, like if you think, oh, it doesn't work, then you can just, you know, do the media temple upgrade or you've now kind of been able to start breaking away from the media temple thing. I mean, how are you doing? Are you using like the one-click install if you, or you set up like, a, are you doing a CentOS box or are you doing Ubuntu? For the DigitalOcean, I yeah. haven't actually done it yet. I'm still, to, I'll, I'll figure that out. I, probably, I may well use, get it basically set up as close to my Homestead box as I can just because yeah. it's going to work. So Use Yum. You can set up like uh, yeah. Oh yeah, so if, yeah. Because like if you ten did, minutes, can't yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, I I've kind of I, I used to use CentOS a lot because we used it our old work, and you know you've got SE Linux available on it and things like that out of the box. And I've just moved away to Ubuntu a bit more and Debian based just because it's a bit easier and you get more documentation because a lot more you know kind of hobbyists and things like that use Ubuntu. Traitor. And <laughs> I'm a traitor. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm the guy who RM dash out F you know star a server you know so <laughs> i'm a renegade okay oh yes i remember when you did just, that just... we all remember when I did that. <laughs> before we change topic quickly uh one of the things i've not been able to do since i upgraded to el capital was use i know you think you use the same thing lou uh sql pro yeah i can't like make uh database connections via ssh you should be using nevercat man well yeah i know you, yeah Can you but not? it's not it's not free nevercat so um uh, no, I could, I've never been able to use it since. Uh, so I used, I moved over to uh, MySQL Workbench. Which Does that work like, with uh, Postgres as well? Um, I don't know, to be honest. But I use the. Uh, okay, so how do you, oh, so you, on your dev version, you use MySQL and then on live, you use Postgres? No, 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 no. So uh, for, for Postgres, I use PG Admin. I uh, use that all the time. But then for uh, for any um, MySQL stuff that I do, oh, uh, right, I yep. use a different client. I use, uh, yeah, Workbench, which is like 
their own version. Whoever. See, I, I love Navicat, and it was one of those things yeah. from our old work, which I ju- it was just that a was great nice, tool. That thing. It was it a was great tool. Good. It just did its job, and it still yeah. does. And is it, it Windows only though? It's no Mac as well. Um, oh, it is. Yeah, was it? Was it was only Windows, wasn't it? Before I think so. I, I think they, they did an upgrade for it to be on Mac as well, and it's just great. I mean, there's so it's one of those things where it's like Texas. There's, there's so many different DB clients out there. Or, you know, and you end up going back to the command line because you're just like, I can't deal with this anymore, or things like that. But yeah, no, Navicat's the one I like, and it's super easy. I just like the fact of having autocomplete on my selects, you know, on my queries and things, and being able to edit it in like a rich text editor as opposed to just on the command line. And I know you can break it into like a Vim thing and things like that, but it's just not, yeah, not the same for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what artisan commands have you created, Luke, just out of interest? Uh, basically, for, well, You've obviously worked with my CMS, so I've got kind of this modular approach to it. Yeah. I've, I've kind of focused on that. So basically, like, if it's a news module, that's going to have a controller. It's going to have a model, a validator, uh, some views, and maybe a couple of other things that I've made. And what was, what was happening was I was making this website and then getting the brief through for the next one and needing exactly the same functionality. So what I was having to do was then bring up the code for the previous website and just literally copy and paste it across, and it was just taking taking a little while. It was always a lot easier back in when I was using Code Igniter with their HMVC approach that they had, yeah. Because everything was you just were a contained. big fan of that, weren't you? I, well, I thought yeah. it was great because everything was just inside one folder, whereas the the um, the folder layouts of Laravel are a little bit different. So um, I just thought enough is enough. Let's hey, let's learn let's learn how to write custom artisan commands because that's not something i've done either but i i know it'd be dead useful so it was a good example for for one of those and basically what what i've done now every time i make a module i have or i have you know a system in in the site that i know i'm going to want to use somewhere else i've got my um my own kind of central repo that i bring into every project that i do so i've i basically copy it into there into its own certain thing, and then I've I write I've written an artisan command that will then grab grab the information from there and put it in the relevant places that it needs to go the controllers directory the um, the views directory and stuff like that. So I just I just make a duplicate copy of each module in one place rather than having to bring up the previous project where I used it. So in theory, I've only got to do it once, and then once I've got it in the right place, I can use this artisan command to pull all the code out. All oh, right, very and then, cool. And then do um, do a search and replace on the relevant things as I'm doing it to update their IDs or the module name or whatever. It doesn't have to be called the same thing or whatever, but yeah. just a little workflow thing. I did wonder if that might be quite useful for people to have something like that. So, I mean, you create a clonable directory and then inside of it you just create all your various modules or whatever you want to call them, whether it's news or team or blog or whatever, and then you just have your controller your model your whatever inside of there and as long as the artisan command knows where to look for the file it, it will then put it in the relevant the relevant destination where it needs to go so so far so good it's certainly speeding up my workflow but then the other one was yeah it was just to basically with one command create a controller model validation thing and some boilerplate for view files and stuff so 
Those are the two that how I've much, done. Nice. How much of the work, how much of the collection stuff have you used in Laravel? Because I see a lot of like, Adam Watham, he's showing off like a lot of, I think it's what um, Laravel provides, like collections, and it allows you like, you know, to easily do chainable things such as like the reduces, the maps, the filters and things. I don't know. I've done I've done a few bits, but I use it quite... Is it a nice API? Because it looks like quite a lovely. nice uh, fluent I, I can't, API. I can't, I can't, I can't fault That's any Taylor, Taylor's really good at doing that, isn't he? Thinking about what, the developer wants and how he wants to use it or how they want to use it sorry and like you know yeah he's been very good at doing that exactly they've they've got nice things like chunk or take where you can basically or um slice you know just really you know as as you would expect them to be called and the best thing about about them is that you don't even really have to look at the documentation you can be just kind of intuitive as to what you think they're yeah gonna, you can just do gonna, i mean you can just do just like do. intellisense kind of thing in your api even just be like yep yeah, what's next oh i want to do that and things like that exactly i mean i, I use there's there's an each method with it that i use quite a lot which you can just basically just oh, so like a for each kind of side effect thing or a map exactly yeah um yeah, they're they're all really really good. I, I can't I can't complain. Yeah, I I use them a lot. I use them a hell of a lot. No, that's cool because I think the abstractions over like having abstraction over iterable and an array because you have like array map and array you know and you have to always change iterator to array and things and it does make the code look a little messy. Mm. Um, so no, no, that's really interesting. I'm gonna have to look into that. It's just it's just something like you know collections are a very you know sim- uh, very not very simple thing like a very commonplace thing and actions over them you know applying actions over them is very commonplace and yeah it's not in reinventing the wheel and kind of having it in one place well, in one way here's a situation where i was kind of using it I've, with this site that i'm doing now i'm kind of building an api for it and i've gone through two different approaches so basically just to be able to to have a url where you can change certain parameters to get whatever data you need and um so there'll be like the current current properties or track record properties and then whether they're sales or lettings etc and i was doing that and that was all fine and i was able to get the data that i needed but then i needed to for example grab between a certain price filter for example so between a minimum price and a maximum price and stuff and then realize that you know once i've done that i may need to filter it down further and the way that I was writing it in the first place was literally having it all as as parameters. So forward slash this, forward slash that, forward yep. slash this. And I thought, gosh, you know, there's only so far you can go with that before you get these ridiculous URLs. And, and, they're, about, so, and they're also, you know, they're fixed, aren't they? Because, you know, you can't, I mean, yeah, having these options as parameter, you know, kind of things is you now have to be in that particular order all the time. You can't like mist them out or anything like that. Exactly. So what, I mean, yeah. And then what I was doing from there, once I had that, I was basically using that to get kind of the minimum amount. And then I was using the collection methods to, to filter out what you needed, Yep. which it worked, but I wasn't overly happy with. So I've actually... I'd be interested to see what you guys think of this. I've completely rewritten it, and it just uses all get variables. I I like that approach because I, I, I because it doesn't rely on order. That's it. That and that's what they're there for. You know, is they're there for queryable things. You know, that allow you to be able to optionally include them. Um, yeah. and, and that's what you expect you know i mean you expect you either what you do you know in these kind of things is that you either have it as a get parameter or, or get request and you p- supply it in you know there or you provide a post if you really want to and you post in like say a json object with all the params or terms in or things like that if you want um but yeah no i i would go the get route i think that's a nicer way you have a search you know endpoint it can be somewhat specific because i know you've said like oh you know it's only related to lettings and then you have optional things you want to apply to it and you can in the documentation 
going you know it, whether it's hypermedia you know uh, kind of route you're going or if you're going just you know having a simple restful api endpoint that you can then just well not really you know but yeah. a simple a- api endpoint that you can just say here's documentation for what you can do with it i mean if you're the only one using them then you know you've got a bit more flexibility there exactly uh, but it allows you it provides you a flexibility you know because maybe you just want to supply a min price you don't want to supply a max price and what's the point in then having to put in you know have this horrible string because i know pretty urls are so sought after but it's such the wrong way because it's an api request it doesn't matter what it looks like as long as it works it's interesting that you say that because again as we've touched on so many times i've got one side of my head saying why don't you just do it that way you know it will work and then the other side of my brain going, oh no, but people want these pretty URLs no, now. It's I, I be... think this is the trouble. Like SEO, <laughs> like even SEO doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter what your URL is. Like as long as it makes sense for what it like for what it is essentially. Uh, you know, I think because you have like you know the canonical URLs and things like that, and then people you know put loads of crap after them all yeah. these big sites do and then the google only knows about the canonical one this is the actual real you know url to get to this place and you know this is the thing like it makes it so much easier and the, it the, makes more sense the biggest payoff it was is that i've i've got a search form for properties on the website that submits a get request and that's so, it and that's and what then, yeah exactly so you use works. html for what it is and that's the great thing isn't it because then you just yeah. have get params you don't have to use javascript or anything to build up these horrible urls i've, that, I've written so much yeah. unnecessary code just yeah. because i wanted the urls well, to look the nice pretty, pretty urls are like one of the big sales they were in all these frameworks and, and everything you know how simple it was to have pretty urls and mm. i think we've just gone overboard on pretty urls and i think sometimes you know the bringing in the hypermedia stuff when i was talking to camille last year you know like kind of realization that yeah, it doesn't really matter what the URL looks like if you're doing hypermedia because you're always passing back just like placeholders essentially. Like, oh, give me what the URL is and I'll ex- you know run it. But it doesn't matter what the URL is. Like, it can change. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what it looks like. And particularly in a- APIs, you know, as long as the documentation have, has got it and, you know, as long as it makes sense, it doesn't matter that it, if it looks, doesn't look somewhat. And I think with, you know, optional parameters, queries and stuff like that, that's the perfect way to do it. It's exactly what it's meant for. Perfect. Well, that's good. Awesome source. Uh, yeah. Mickey, have you got anything else you want to say? Uh, no, no. Well, I've got another topic, but it's too much for this podcast. We'll do it the next one. So, okay, uh, you, sure, you sure, man? Do, do, you, do you want a teaser? Do want a teaser? Go on, give me a tease. I'd like to talk about MySQL backups. Oh, no. Uh, what, what, automation of it. Automation You mean backups. exporting them to your desktop? I mean, like on your live boxes, how backing do you... up databases Cron and jobs. at the right time, yes, cron jobs, Cause, cause yes, that backing up at the right time because there's no good doing it throughout the day, especially if it locks. It depends on what type of database you're using. If it's locking all these tables, exactly, that's not what you want. Um, so there's one, a lot of stuff to talk about. That's cool. Well, we could talk about that next episode. I like that. Yeah. A little tease, you know. For, tease you know. Yeah. Um, one last thing. A did you know fact? I I, I told you today, Mickey. Um, yeah. well, in a pull request that I, I looked at this morning uh, for work. Uh, Sten used this it was really weird actually it was like it was break and it was a break com- uh, statement and it had a break two and I was like what the hell this is can't be right you can't break two you can't you can't break and then pass in a number turns out there's an optional number that you can provide within a break its default is break one but you can actually break and it will actually tell it will actually inform like say how many break like how many uh like sub what was the what's the thing but it's sub control that you want to go up you know so say you've got two blocks you know like say you've got a four each and then within that you've got a while if you want to break out of both you can then do break two and it'll break out the four each and then break out the while as well so i was yeah so it's accepts an optional numeric argument which tells how many nested enclosing structures are broken out of so yeah mind blown 
uh, you yeah. know, something new every day. So yeah, it, it, you know, if you've got things, you, I mean, if you want to completely tease people and, and confuse them, yeah, just use something like that as well. But I mean, it's got a use case. Uh, it's just really weird. <laughs> I've never thought of it before. I never even knew it existed. Always yeah. love that with languages. Always love learning new things. <laughs> yeah. Anything else, um, cool. uh, Lou? Have you got anything else you want to say? I don't think so. There's there's a, there's more that we could have talked about with um, with connecting to these APIs, but we've 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 quickly got up to our hour. The, well, the I only... think it just means it's an excuse for another episode sometime, maybe next week. So very true. Know... The, the only thing, do either of you guys know what a .p p twelve file is? No, because when find out next week. <laughs> yeah, with the um when when Rightmove sent me my um my key store stuff to be able to connect to their API, I got a .pem file, which is fine. I've seen those now. .jks file, which is to do with the key store, I believe, which is something I think I need to talk to you. We're talking about in a minute, Ed, hopefully. Yep. But then, this, yeah, this .p12 file as well. And I just wondered what, what it was. We if, it, any of you if we are... find out during the week, we'll let the audience know. But yeah, audience, let, let Lou know. What is a .p12 file? <laughs> do I need it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, no, other than that, no, all good, nice to be back on. Audience, it's been another great episode. Um, I always say that, and yeah. I always they'd say this. So, so overconfident, they might have thought know. it was rubbish. Exactly. <laughs> it's been another episode that may yeah. or may not have been a great one. That's quite a, you know, an over, you know, arcing statement right there. What um, it was, was an episode. It was definitely an episode. Label it whatever you wish. Yeah, exactly, a point in time. All right then, audience, well, we'll, we'll be uh, speaking to you next week, hopefully, and yeah, we hope you have a great week, and yeah. Keep on finding out what P12s are. Happy, <laughs> happy coding. Happy coding. Happy coding, guys. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at threedevsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number three devs and a maybe.